following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, hello. How are you? <laughs> yeah, who am I? That is a good question. Well, um, boy, my family and I had an incredible summer, <laughs> and that sounds like you did too. I really hope that you did. And I can't wait for us to share some stories back and forth uh, at our little return celebration in a couple of weeks. Um, as people asked me as they came in today, how was your sabbatical? I just limited myself to saying, great, <laughs> because it's one of those things, if you start talking about it, you never stop. But um, I do want to say um, that we have such a deep gratitude to all of you who made this possible. So many people... Um, had to step up and volunteer in new and different and additional ways. So many people who are already leaders in lots of ways had to be leaders in new and different ways. Um, and the experience would not have been possible without that. Um, not to mention the, the blessing and endorsement that the whole congregation gave to this um, idea, which wasn't uh, easy or, or probably um, small in any way. So I just want to say... For now, all I want to say is thank you, and uh, it's good to be back with you. Um, I am told that the expectation now is for slightly shorter sermons. <laughs> so I suppose I'd better get going. For these first few weeks back in September, I've planned a series called Inside Out Faith. Now, right out of the gate, I need to manage expectations. This is not some huge realization that dawned on me as I stared up at the Duomo Cathedral in Florence or something like that. Okay, this is not some major word from the Lord that uh, I received while I was on sabbatical. It's just a normal lectionary-based sermon series. <laughs> um, so if your bar was up there, you might want to bring it back down. Um, the concept is this. How do we as individuals, with a faith that has to be inward to some extent, uh, live out our lives and our faith in the big wide world, inside out faith. So uh, who, who has a ballpoint pen handy? There might be some in the, in the seat pockets there. If, you, if somebody, anybody who has one handy, just take that ballpoint pen and hold it out at arm's length. And I want you to look at just the tip of that pen, just the ball of the ballpoint pen, right? Now, uh, some scientists uh, pointed the Hubble telescope at an area of space that appeared to be empty the size of that ballpoint pen tip. And they did a long exposure of it and found after a period of time that there were 3,000 galaxies in that space. And then uh, several years later, they did the same thing again in the same spot with a longer exposure and they found not three, but 10,000 galaxies in the space of a, the tip of a ballpoint pen. Now, <clears throat> each one of these galaxies of course, contains billions of stars. And each one of those stars presumably has hunks of rock orbiting around it, as I was saying with the kids earlier. So our planet, our pale blue dot, to borrow the phrase from Carl Sagan, our little, little tiny blue speck in an incomprehensibly enormous, not to mention ever-expanding universe, <laughs> um, that's the world that we live in. And that's just spatial concerns. Let's talk about time very briefly. Um, if you imagine the existence of our little blue speck of a planet as one day, in other words, if our planet appeared on the scene at 9.42 a.m. yesterday, then modern humans appeared 
How long ago? One second. One second. There's somebody who's done the homework. And there wasn't any homework. You, you intuited the homework. That's amazing. One second of an entire 24-hour day is how long we have been on the scene. So we are just a blip in time and a blip in space. And when I start thinking about this stuff, it reminds me of Psalm 8, which is one of those verses. Do you have verses like this that somehow rooted itself into my brain in the King James Version of the Bible? We don't use that version very much around here, but I remember the one verse, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or as Eugene Peterson put it in a more modern and non-gendered way, I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? So inside out faith to me means that we're going to look at the micro self, the little part of our individual lives in the macro sense, in the macro setting of the world. And so today I want to take just a few minutes looking at a couple of passages of scripture that come from the lectionary that can point us to this idea of who we are as individuals, and I think hopefully anyway, can begin to point us to the idea of who we are or ought to be in our world. Because I do believe that knowing more about who you are knowing more about who I am, little old you, little old me, that can help us to understand who we're supposed to be in the broader world, what we might call the out there, you know, inside out faith. So the first passage is, uh, is Psalm 139. We, we heard it at the call to worship today, and uh, it says in part, it was you, O Lord, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. This psalm kind of takes that same concept from Psalm 8 and is maybe a little bit uh, more optimistic about it. Rather than saying, what are we that you even look at us, it says, in the scope of this grand thing, you know us intimately. The message here is clear. God knows you. God knows every part of you. God has always known you. God will always know you. And God loves you just as you are. To me, I can't think of a better starting point to think about who we are and what our place is in the world. Yes, it is true that each one of you, myself included, is a tiny speck in a vast universe. Yes, it is true that our lifespans are like a split second out of a million years. But despite that, You and I are known and loved by the God who created that vast universe and the God who holds its time. You may not matter to a cold, dark space, but you do matter deeply to the one who made it. 
And by the way, for what it's worth, because that could still be very big and out there and hard to grasp, you matter to me also. And I'm so grateful that God made you who you are and that you are part of this community, um, whether it's your first time or 500th time. So with that as a starting point, being known and loved by God, I want to turn to the words of the prophet Jeremiah. You just heard them read before I started the sermon today. Jeremiah, as you may have caught, had a vision while watching a potter at work at his wheel. So the lesson, first of all, here is if God ever tells you to go watch an artist at work, do it. (laughs) It can get pretty trippy, apparently. (laughs) But that passage says, in part, says this story, the vessel that the potter was making of clay spoiled in the potter's hand. Now, I'm not a potter. I've never done the wheel thing. It seems very cool to me. Um, but sometimes it just goes off the, the wheel the wrong way. Is that right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Spoils in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now this is a pretty well-known passage. You may not have been able to rattle it off from, uh, by heart, uh, from memory, but I would wager that a, a bunch of you churchy-type people, ha, uh, those of you who are, have heard that passage before, and you know of that image of the clay on the wheel. Um, <clears throat> it's quite well-known, and yet I think it's often quite misunderstood, because two images kind of immediately emerge from this vision that Jeremiah has. One is the image of destruction, right? Of this original vessel being formed by the potter, being squashed down into nothing and losing its identity completely, being essentially destroyed and then replaced. And then the second image that seems to come out of this vision is of the clay being passively molded into an end result that it has no say over. Right? That the, that, in other words, that the potter's going to shape what the potter wants to shape and the clay doesn't have any, any say in the matter. Right? This is what happens when you take a metaphor or an image um, and try to extend it and apply it in every single way, right? The, the analogy breaks down after a while. Unfortunately, I think we sometimes take that broken down analogy and make it the whole meaning of the passage when that, in my mind, misses the actual point of the passage, which is that God can and will make something beautiful, make something useful, make something meaningful out of you, even after your biggest failure. Even a total failure, an abject failure that, that <clears throat> results in the thing having to be completely scrapped and started over. Notice that the, the, the potter doesn't throw the clay away. The potter takes that same clay and, and begins again. It's, a, it's, a, it's another chance. And the rest of this passage, which you heard read, I'm not going to read the rest of it now, it actually makes it clear that our actions and choices do determine our fate. So it's not all random chance, and it's certainly not all just the potter deciding whatever this thing is going to be, and you have no say in the matter. The rest of the passage is very clear that your choices do make a difference in the end result. <clears throat> By the way, the passage from Deuteronomy that the lectionary gives us today says this even more directly. We're not going to get into it. We don't have time. 
Um, but the passage in Deuteronomy carries over into next week. Maybe we'll hit it then. But th- this is a repeated theme throughout Scripture that, that what you do actually matters to what God does. In fact, the passages go so far as to say, uh, God says, I will change my mind about what I, will, what I was planning to do. Right? In the ori- original language, that, that probably is the word repent. Okay, that gets really weird if you start thinking about that too much. God says, I will change my mind about what I had planned for you as a result of something that you do, as a choice that you make. The context here, by the way, for Jeremiah's vision is that um, the Israelites had been conquered by the Babylonians, had been carried out of their holy land into exile. And a major message in the book of Jeremiah is that the exile is God's response to the Israelites having turned away from God and turning to idol worship pagan practices. And the vision is that these people who have turned away from God and disobeyed God and started to worship other gods and idols and such, uh, they're not not described as finalized, glazed, fired-in-the-kiln pots that are brittle and immovable. And that if something was wrong with them, the only option is essentially to shatter them into a million pieces No, in fact, the image is that these people who have done all these wrong things, the clay is still soft with them. The master potter can take them and remake them into something better. So maybe it would make sense for us to think about our own failures for a minute. What are your biggest failures? The ones that you're most embarrassed about? The ones you feel like you could never recover from? I know that's not pleasant for me to think about. And if you're anything like me, you you don't have to think very far back in time to your most recent failure that's an embarrassment and that you wish you didn't have to think about again. Maybe it was something huge. Maybe you completely turned away from God And now you're finding yourself wondering if it's time to turn back. Maybe it's something much smaller than that. Maybe it's something in between. Regardless of what your failure is, the message for you today is the same from this vision in the prophet Jeremiah that God God isn't done with you yet. No matter who you are, how old you are, where you've been, what you've done. So then, Psalm 139 teaches us that in the enormity of this universe, each one of us matters deeply to God, the creator of that universe. And Jeremiah's vision in the potter's house is that no matter what, God can still redeem each one of us if we are willing to participate in that redemption with God. These two things taken together seem to me to be very good news, news that's worth sharing But there's one last thing that I think makes the news even better. Which is that this is not about an individual anything. This is about community. Did you notice that the word of the Lord given to the prophet Jeremiah was not about the prophet Jeremiah? It wasn't, Jeremiah, look at the potter and see what happens when the clay goes off the thing. That's exactly what I'll do to you, little Jeremiah. That's exactly how I... The God of the universe will interact with you, you tiny little individual. No, 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 no. It's all addressed to the house of Israel. So this redemption is something that we get to participate with, not only with God, but with each other, because we are in community with each other, and we are saved, and we are lost 
together. You can even remember back, if, if you know more of the Bible story, to the call of Abraham. Abraham was, was called uh, to be the father of a great nation, a great family, a great tribe. Those words are all kind of squishy in the Hebrew. They're all kind of a similar word. So that that family, that nation, that tribe could be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's the original call in the Bible to God's people. I'm going to make you a great family so that you can be a a blessing to all the families of the earth. By the way, do you remember the setting, the scene for that that call of Abraham? What did God tell Abraham to do? Look at the stars. See how they shine for you. Look up and try to count them. That's how many your descendants will be. So here then is what might be our first clue about how to work out our individualized faith in the wider world. I think step one might be acknowledge that we are all bound up together. So you are not alone in the vast universe. God knows you deeply, every single aspect of your being in nature. And God has placed you in a community of salvation where you maybe we should start saying where we can receive this divine blessing so that overflowing with God's great love, we can carry that blessing out into the world. We are known by God. We are made by God. And together, we are reformed, remade by God's grace so that we can share God's grace with the world or to put a clever little title on it, to make our faith, to take our faith in and turn it inside out. Let's pray together. God of the vast universe, we are grateful to you for your love for us. Though we are small and here for just a moment in time, may we truly know and understand the depths of your knowledge and love for us, May we truly know and understand that our salvation, our fate, our future, just as our present and past, are bound up with each other, that we understand you as a community of faith. Help us to celebrate our individualism even as we embrace our togetherness. Help us to make the right choices so that our recreation will end in something truly beautiful, that we will truly be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This is our hope and prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a great joy for the first time in some months to be able to invite you to the table of the Lord. Uh, Our table is an open table at Artisan Church, and uh, I like to say that if Jesus were here with us now and laying out a dinner table and invited you to come to the table, uh, would you come? And if you would come to Jesus' table, then please come to Jesus' table. Uh, As you come, you can take a piece of the bread, remember Christ's body which is broken for you, 
And you can dip in one of the cups. There's both wine and juice, remembering Christ's blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. May it be for you uh, an act of remembrance of that sacrifice. May it be for you the real presence of the Savior. And may it be food for your hungry souls. And we're going to continue to worship uh, and pray together and sing together as the table is open. I invite you to come. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.